Welcome to Ask of Expert, brought to you by the team at Vexit.com. Our bi-weekly series is the podcast helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's this week's host, Polly Craig. Well, hello and welcome back. So let's say your business is doing okay. You've invested a lot to get it off the ground. And then as the year's coming to an end, you see your numbers rising, rising, and rising. You're seeing exponential growth right before your eyes. It's what most business owners dream of. But something we don't talk enough about is what do you do when your business rapidly grows and you have excess cash on the table? Do you reinvest it in the business? Do you invest it somewhere else? Or do you book a first-class ticket to Cabo to celebrate? The last one sounds like fun, and maybe you'll do that anyway. But we're here today to talk about the best option when you have excess cash. At the end of the day, we want to ensure that your business stays thriving long-term. So those trips to Cabo can be more than just a one-time thing. Our guest today, Jerry Steckler, joins us from beautiful British Columbia on Canada's West Coast. Jerry is a financial and business strategist and co-owner and president of Bridge to Prosperity. Before we get started, I'm going to share something that Jerry shared online. It struck me as a great philosophy. He said, money is an uncomfortable subject for most people. Financial questions pop up all the time that you wonder about and would love to seek expert opinion on. As happens often in life and business generally, not seeking professional help often delays you from reaching your goals and incurs much more out-of-pocket expenses. Don't sit on the sidelines and fear asking questions. I'm here to guide you and help you understand your current financial opportunities and plan for future financial security. It's easier than you might think. We love shining a light on these uncomfortable questions and getting you the answers you need in order for your business to thrive. Welcome to the show, Jerry. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. It's going to be wonderful. So, you know, isn't that the dream? As entrepreneurs, we have businesses, we invest our time, our effort, and finally, we've got that bottom line that we can see. And sometimes we're only addressing it at tax time. Oh, I should have, or I could have. Who do I talk to? They tend to get very immersed in the business part of it, which is understandable. That's what got them there in the first place. But at some point, they should step back and take a look and say, okay, what am I going to do that's going to be good for me in 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Not next year, not in six months, but a much further horizon. And it's hard for business owners to do that sometimes because, like we said, a business is consuming. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And they've been successful. But at some point, it's time to say, okay, what am I going to do with this? And they may not have any idea because they haven't explored that. So what do you think holds people back from taking action with money that they have on the table? There's a couple of things I want to, I guess, address with respect to this. And it's sometimes people's fear of investing. And it's not just with business owners, it's with anybody. And I'll tell you a story about a lady in her mid-50s that I recently chatted with one of my clients. And I asked her just off the cuff, what do you think the chances are that you're going to lose money when you invest? And she came back with an astounding 60 or 70%. And I just, what? And wow. so I booked a meeting with her the next week and got on a Zoom call. And I said, can you explain this, please? And she said, well, I'm not really used to investing. I haven't done a lot of that in my life. And I'm really not sure. And I've heard a lot of horror stories. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, if I thought that would be the case, I wouldn't be investing any money. For anybody, because I just don't think that's realistic. 
So I, I had a copy of the index chart. The index chart is an independent view of how the markets have performed, in this case, since 1934 to 2020. And it shows how different funds have gone up since then. So if you invest $1,000 back in 1934, in some cases, you have over $11 million today. I'm not talking about $1,000 a year. I'm just talking about $1,000. And I did the math. I actually ran the numbers to see what it would come out with. And yes, it does come out to $11 million. That's incredible. But you just think about the power of compound interest, and that's what we're talking about. Now, we know we're going to have up and down days in the markets, and that's going to happen. There's no question. It's never going to stay the sale. It's going to go up, and it's going to go down. And it has for the last 80 years, and I don't see any reason why that's going to change. But the trend is up. So if you decide you want to put into a GIC or not invest at all because you're worried about what the market's going to do, just think about that $1,000 and $11 million at the end of it. And by the time I was done and I showed her the chart, you could just feel the anxiety drop. And she'd be like, oh, my God, is that true? I said, well, it's not my numbers. These are you know, the index charts put out by an independent source. And they do this every year. And they show you what the markets do. I'm not saying we're not going to have corrections because we did. The last big one was in 2008. But you don't want to do all your investing premises, I guess, based on corrections. It means so much that, you know, we hear the term knowledge is power. Yes. And in this case, by breaking down that barrier and providing the information that you need to make intelligent decisions that taking away the anxiety, you know, you're improving people's lives by yes. exposing them to the information that they need. Yeah, so I, live, I live in this world and I, I'm constantly in it. And I can't say it stresses me. I enjoy it. I enjoy learning. I like to find new products, new services that are out there that weren't out there, say, two or three years ago. And it happens all the time. And part of our business, we are required to do 30 hours a year. may not seem like a lot, but sometimes it seems to add up, but of education. So we have to continue to upgrade ourselves and make sure we stay current with everything that's going on. And everybody else that we're dealing with, all our clients, obviously, they're not doing that. They rely upon us. What I end up doing is it's more of a relationship. I don't automatically or arbitrarily make a decision for the client. I said, okay, these are the couple of choices that we have right now. What would you like to do? And they ask a couple of questions and we get in this conversation. But it's meant to sort of educate and inform and let them know what's happening. And they want to be a part of this. Absolutely. They don't want to have to make a decision without any information. They want some guidance along the way and, and we'll provide that. But it's a conversation and say, well, this is what the risk is. And that's another funny one. We talk about risk tolerance a lot when people are investing because, you know, they have a different idea of what's going to happen. And I use the analogy of when you drive a car. Do you remember the first time you went out and drove after you got your license? You were terrified. You didn't know, you know, you're, you're stopping at a red light or a stop sign and you probably stopped for three or four seconds before you moved because it's just you weren't used to it. Well, five years later, you get in the car and you drove to the store and you don't even remember getting there. You just got there and it's just an innate response. And all the fears and all the risks were still there. You just got used to it. I think investing is the same way. You, you know, you're not sure what to do when you start. But five years down the road, when you got used to it and you made money and it, this isn't so hard and it isn't hard. It's just, you know, there are certain rules you want to listen to. And pay attention, you know, like say, don't sell when the market's down. Absolutely true. Warren Buffett will tell you that all the time. That's the time to buy when everybody else is fearful. And, you know, you listen to that. So you have to have a discipline in order to do that. And we help with that with the clients. You know, they'll phone up. And I have to tell you, during COVID, 
nobody came forward and said, hey, I want to sell because the markets went down last March, like 35%. We didn't lose that much. We might have lost 8 or 9% in total, but everything rebounded. So it was good. But people kept in place. And I think that was partly because we had trained them or explained this to them before it happened. I said, yeah, you're going to have down days. We're not going to make 20% every year. And so how do you feel entrepreneurs can best benefit from this philosophy? If we make 7 or 8% over long term, I think we're okay. You know, back to the, uh, the business owner and having excess cash, there's a bit of a strategy involved with these and in terms of, I guess, timeframes, et cetera. You don't want to do this five years prior to leaving the company. You want to do this 15 or 20 years prior when you have enough cash. And it doesn't mean you have to shut the company down when you finally finish because maybe the plan hasn't gone in full fruition. Sometimes it's 10 or 15 years before you do this. We like corporate life insurance, for example. It's a good, safe way to, I think, invest money. And one of the biggest questions I get back from the business owners, and they think of term insurance when you say life insurance. I said, we're not talking term insurance. Term insurance is basically a temporary need. You can start out that way because it's budget friendly and then decide that you want to convert it to a permanent insurance policy later because now you're in the driver's seat. You've got the insurance policy approved. You can convert it at a later date based on the age you are at that point. And that's certainly doable. And that's what some people do. Others can say, hey, I want to buy it now. Now, it's considered, it is expensive. I mean, it's an investment. But it's a better investment than possibly leaving your money where it is. Right now, if they leave it where it is, they have it in the interest income funds, et cetera, and they're paying tax on it likely each year. And this is more of an estate planning tool. You know, I like what we call PAR. It's a participating policy with insurance companies. And basically, you know, you run an illustration and it shows you what you're going to have at the 15-year mark, the 20-year mark, 25-year, and so on and so forth. Because some of them would say, well, I want to have access to cash at some point in the future. So maybe I want to augment my retirement income. Maybe I don't want everything to go to the estate. Well, that's fine. You know, there's a cash amount within the policy that you can borrow against. And it basically, they're going to use the death benefit portion of the life insurance policy. I'm talking about they as the financial institution as collateral. And there are institutions out there that do this. And this is something that a lot of people aren't aware of how this whole process works. So can you just unpack that a little bit? So this is a policy that the corporation pays the premiums on? That's correct. And then you can change it throughout without having to requalify or... You buy a term insurance policy, basically start... This is if you can't afford... What happens in most cases, people will buy a portion of it as permanent, what they can afford at this point, given the cash amount that they have on, on store. And then maybe five years later, they jump it up by however much term they still have left. Say they buy $500,000 of each. So $500,000 permanent and $500,000 a term. Five years later, they decide to take the $500,000 term and convert it all to permanent because now they have an additional amount of cash and they want to move it into permanent. They couldn't do it five years ago because they didn't have enough money. So now they do it. It's going to be based on the age they are then. So if they started this whole thing at 40, and now they're 45, so the rates are going to be a little slightly higher. But you're in the driver's seat, and you don't have to worry about health because you've already got the term insurance. And you know, when the insurance company issues that policy to begin with, they realize that you could convert it later, so they take that into consideration. But what you want to do is get in before there's health issues because if there's health issues, you're not going to be able to do this. That's going to be the biggest concern. But now that you're in, 
And it's not a question of how much will this cost me? It's a question of how much can I invest? The more, the better, because it's tax deferred. It's going to grow within the policy and there's not going to be any taxes against it, which is a wonderful tool to have. It's like having another RSP, but it's obviously slightly different. And this is awesome for people who have maximized their TFSA and RSP and they're, you know, it's in the business and it's paid out of corporate dollars, not personal tax dollars, et cetera. So it's a win-win. And they're thinking, well, I want this to go to my estate at the end of the day. And that's exactly where it's going to go. And it's going to be paid likely with no taxes. There are a couple of taxation rules along, but I'm not going to get into that today. That's a little deeper than I want to go. I'm trying to keep this at the 50,000 foot level and explain you know, what's going to happen. What happens if some time goes by and you decide it's in your best interest to take some money out? Let's say a person's got this policy in place and it's been in place for 15 years and say they're now 60, 65, and they say, well, I'd like to take a little cash out. So they go to another financial institution and say, do you guys do policy loans? And there are a couple of companies out there that are really good. Manulife, for one example, they do this a lot. So they take a look at the policy, they see how much it's worth, and they say, this is how much we can lend you as a line of credit. So the person has access to cash if they need it. Maybe they only want it for a couple of years. They want to buy something and they're going to sell it again, but they have the cash to be able to do so. Instead of having to go to somebody else and say, well, I need a loan. What are you going to use as collateral? So it gives the, uh, the business owner some additional flexibility. And further to that, there's another strategy called the immediate financial arrangement. So it's IFA. And it's designed for business owners who don't want to just buy the insurance policy, but they want to borrow against it immediately. So you have to be healthy and you have to be financially strong enough to be able to qualify for both ends because they're going to do an income verification and a health verification to make sure you're clear on both sides. And basically what happens is you take out the policy and say your premiums were $50,000 a year. So you put 50000 in, you can borrow up to $50,000 a year against that policy and use it for other sources, other investment possibilities. So it's a, it's a great way to leverage in that sense. And it's for people who don't mind leveraging and understand that, you know, how this could work. But maybe they need life insurance and they also have this business opportunity that they want to take advantage of. And they're not sure how they can do both. So they can do the insurance policy and then borrow against it. But like I said, there's some, you have to go through the process and be approved on both sides. And we do a lot of conversation with people on that subject because there's a lot involved, but it's an excellent way. And if they need life insurance anyway, why not give it a shot? They may not want to go that route, but you know we're going to show them this to them anyway and say, you know, this is what's basically going to happen. On that very point, so you're when you're talking with your clients about utilizing some of the programs that you're sharing with us, do you also get their accountant involved? Is it important to have other professionals that understand? Yes. Because there might be the bigger picture too. They may have... We personal- don't do the legal part of it. For example, we ask them to see their lawyer about how you're going to structure this to make sure it's in fit with the way the, uh, the business is set up. Perhaps right now they've only got a, an operating company and they need a hold call, so they need to get that set up. So these have to doesn't have to necessarily be done day one, but it should be done relatively soon so there's not going to be tax considerations down the road. And yes, the accountants will be involved. And we usually end up talking directly to the accountants and saying, okay, this is what we want to do because they'll understand the language and they'll understand what's happening. And, and there's a lot of trust between the business owner and the accountant in that case. In some cases, they don't have somebody like that. They have a more of a bookkeeper, not an actual accountant type of thing. 
And they say, well, you have somebody that you can provide. And say, yes, we do. We can do that. We'll let them know. I don't want to give tax advice. I mean, I could probably get you 30% of the way, but I can't get you 100. And I'm not even prepared to go down that route. I know what the marginal rates of tax are, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the expertise. And I don't, I don't want to claim to be there. I'm the insurance person. I'm the financial advisor. Somebody else can do the tax part. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. More eyes on as well. And one of the things that you touched on early in our conversation, this is one vehicle. How important is it to have multiple things, you know, segregating your investments? You've got the insurance side of things. You know, you want to leave some cash in your business. Anything else to add? This is a pretty big one. Another one that we like is we call it an advanced corporate investment option. And this is basically for somebody who's having issues with passive income. In 2019, the federal government announced changes to the income rules on businesses. And they said, once you earn over $50,000 of passive income, you're going to lose your exemption on whatever monies you earn. And some of the higher earners, professional doctors, et cetera, were quite upset over this because it's going to have quite an impact on their business in terms of the tax they're going to pay. So we have a, a specific investment done by one of the carriers where you buy like a GIC. I call it like a GIC because it's similar to it. The difference is you're guaranteed not to lose any money, but you don't have a set rate that you're going to earn automatically. It's not going to be 1% or 2% of value each year. It's going to be basically linked to a basket of funds. And if it earns 4 or 5%, you're going to earn 4 or 5%. And you know ahead of time what it is that you've gotten yourself into because there's a table and it sets out what it is that you're going to earn. But the beauty about this is that it's usually set up for a five or six year time frame. And there's no tax payable on the earnings until year five or six, whenever it matures. And then you're going to pay tax on the income. So what you've done is basically, for all the five years or six years up to that maturity date, whatever you've earned is not going to impact your income, your passive income rules. So you'll, you'll be saving more of your money at the end of the day. I go through the numbers with the accountant or the business owner and show them, okay, give me an example of what we've got, how much money we're talking about, and this is what you're going to end up saving. So beyond that, are there other options or other routes that business owners could take? Again, it's a tax deferment, but it's a strategy perfectly legal within CRA. Say, okay, this is how we want to set this up, and it's good for the business owner. Another option is corporate leveraging. You basically take out a loan, a personal loan, say $250,000, $300,000, and there's going to be an interest amount on that loan, obviously, from the financial institution. Whatever that amount happens, be, say it's, it's $20,000 a year. Well, then you pull out $20,000 out of your company to cover the cost of the interest that you're paying on the outside. But basically, you, what you've done is you've taken out $20,000 of the company tax-free. So it's, it's good uh-huh. for somebody who doesn't mind leveraging and, and uh, taking on a little bit more risk with respect to that. Those are the options that are there. There's also what we call an um, individual pension plan. And it's like an RSP, except it's in the company. 
And the beauty about it is that you can put more money in than you can a, a normal RRSP. The only issue I have with those, and with RSPs for that matter, is that when you get to be 65 or 70 and you've now got six or seven or $800,000 or more in your RSP, you're going to have a tax issue. And you're not going to get away from it because you're going to pay tax on that at the end of the day, regardless. And we call it the RS, RRSP meltdown. You have to start reducing that because if you pass and you're, say, you're 80 years old and you've got $800,000 in RSPs yet, the beneficiaries are not going to get $800,000. They're going to get $400,000 because they're going to lose half of the taxes. This is why I said when people start making plans, you want to do this 15 or 20 years prior if not longer, because there's a lot of stake and there's a lot of things to do in between. Can't be done immediately. And there are also things that have to be done with the businesses, but we have business people that help us with that. When they want to go and sell your business, they assist in that process to make sure that you're taking full advantage of the tax consequences. And that's partially what the insurance policies are doing because they're basically taking the assets off the book. They're putting it in an insurance policy and it reduces the capital gains exposure to that whatever money they're in the, in the policy itself. So it helps in many ways. One of the things that business owners look at, they have an issue because one of their children is involved with the business, but the other ones aren't. And they're trying to figure out, well, how am I going to give all my kids the same amount of money? And they can do that just to the policy because when it goes to the state, they can indicate how much money they want to go to each child and make sure things are more equalized. So that's a, a, another good reason. Everything is you know, quite confidential. And I'll tell you a little story about confidence because we deal in segregated funds, which are like mutual funds, but they're administered or sold exclusively by insurance companies. So seg funds are basically, they go outside of probate. They don't form part of the estate or anything to do with the will, et cetera. They're an independent, if you will, investment choice. They're very similar in terms of the kind of rates you get from a mutual fund. But like I said, they're done by insurance companies. But the key is it's confidential and you can't just phone up and say, well, you know, what's there? So I had this lady phones up, an executor of my one of my clients who just passed away. And she said, what's the amount of money that I'm going to receive as a beneficiary? And I said, I can't tell you. She says, well, I'm the executor and I'm one of the beneficiaries. I'm aware of that, but you were the executor while, while your father was alive. But now that he's passed, that no longer holds true. It, it doesn't mean anything. It, it's, you know, the money's within the company. They're going to pay out the beneficiaries directly, but I can't let you know what the terms of the account were. And, you know, she was quite surprised. I said, it's his wish to decide how the money's going to get allocated. I know how it got allocated and I know who's going to get what, but I can't tell you that. Wow. That's what segments are about. They, you know, they want to keep it confidential. And I sat down with him and he said, well, this is how I want it to go. The only time I would ever question a client, say they had three children and they want to completely admit one of them. And I say, you might have an issue with that in court down the road because you're not being fair to all three children. But there may be a reason that you decide not to give it. You might want to add an affidavit to the will and explain the situation so there's no court challenges down the road. But this stuff is confidential. It does not go through probate, so it avoids the whole probate process. So there's a lot of money at stake and you want the beneficiary to get the money in a hurry. This is an excellent way to do it. There's no extra fees for this. Psych funds, like I said, they're like mutual funds. The um, MERs are slightly higher, but I don't think prohibitive. I mean, they're still making, we made 20% in 2019. We've got funds making 12, 15% this year. And that's not uncommon. It just depends on what people like. But um, they like and the immediate settlement. They like the confidentiality. 
like I said, probate fees and executor fees and county fees of, of selling up all your estate at the end of the day, these are all gone. And people like that. So when they're 65 or 75 and they're thinking, well, how do I want to set myself up and make sure that I'm clear in terms of where everything is going? I said, well, this is a, a very good way. And if they decide they want to change the beneficiaries, give me a call. I'll send you the form. You sign it. You tell me what you want changed. We send it in and it's done. There's no fee. There's no charge. Nothing. Very it's interesting. Just, yeah, it is. It's a wonderful tool to have. In that case, Jerry, is it important for individuals to include in their will to explain that that is where the funds are? And No, they don't have to do that. They could. I guess they could tell their children, but the beneficiaries are going to receive the money anyway. And they probably have already told the executive, this is what I'm doing, but I'm not just not going to tell you how much is there. But it doesn't form part of the estate, so it's just it's gone. And the state may take two years to settle, but everybody's got their money, or at least that portion of it. And what some people are doing is saying, well, I may not want all my money there, but I want some of it there so they get something right away. And it says, well, you can gift them or you can you know, set up a site fund and then they're going to get this within five business days after we receive all the documentation. I guess back to the business owner and you know, their parents, their grandparents, et cetera, but albeit this isn't out of the company. But a great way to gift to grandchildren is you buy um, a policy, same type of policy we were talking about earlier about the company. So it's a, a par policy and it has a cash value within the policy, but you own the policy for the grandchild. So the grandchild say five years old and you say, oh, I'm going to buy a 10-year pay and, and it should be paid off in 10 years, but it's going to be the grandchild at some point and you're going to transfer the ownership to the child or to the parent at some point in the future. But you have the rights to access the cash while the death benefit portion is for the child. So that's basically how it's set up. And it gives the grandparent a choice of saying, hey, I want to access cash. I want to do this in a smart way, but I also want to gift my granddaughter or grandson. How do I do that? You probably set up death portion or the insurance amount a little higher so you have latitude or room in which to borrow against the policy and still leave the amount that you want to leave to the grandchild within the policy. Now, you may never use it. All you're doing is that you're setting yourself up so that you have that in case you need it. It's sort of a last resort, but it's it's nice to know it's there. So now at 80 years old, you've got this $200,000 pot sitting there. So for our listeners, if they're interested in setting this up, can you lead us through the steps to do so? Hey, I need 50000 to do something. You take it out of the policy. You actually do a loan on a financial institution like a line of credit, but the policy stays intact. And then when you pass, everything goes to the, whoever you designated as the, as the annuitant. So you basically transfer ownership. What we do is we set that up at the start when they take a policy out at day one, and we make sure we understand, okay, what is the intent of the policy? Are you going to, who are you going to transfer to? So all the necessary paperwork is done at that point. So there's some things that they have to know at the start. Not to say they can't change their mind. They're going to be allowed to do that because if what happens if the child dies? You've got to be prepared for that. Not that that's what, what we want to see happening, but... Just back up on that one a little bit. Okay. So you have the policy and you use 250000 as an example and you're 80 years old and you take $50,000 cash out by way of line of credit so that the policy is collateral? Yes, so nothing yeah. comes out of the policy. So you're not paying tax. You, you, you're, you're you, can, you can do it both ways, but it's probably not what we would recommend. 
we would recommend probably a line of credit. And when you come to take it out, that's the question you're going to ask. And you're probably going to ask a financial person and say, what's the best route here? But usually it's a line of credit. That seems to be the preferred method and it makes sense. And again, maybe it's only for a short time frame because, you know, once the person passes, he may have other insurance to pay off and any other debts are there, but he does have access to the cash. But this is a basic a combination of being able to gift a grandchild and have an alternate investment choice for yourself. Say, I don't want to put money in RSP. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put any money into, you know, a GIC. I want something safe and secure. And it is. And you know when you put the money in what you're going to have in 10 or 15 years because it's right in the contract at the day one. You won't lose money. Do you know that for sure? And there's no tax payable at the end of it when you take the money out. There's going to be interest charges, but I've run the numbers. And if you do it well enough, you're still well ahead of the game. And again, a lot of people simply aren't aware of that. You know, you've taken us through a lot of really good examples of of use of funds, and you're making my job really easy here because you're just flowing. This is great. You know what? We don't have a lot of time left. Have you covered off everything that you intended to? (laughs) I think I pretty much got through what I want to do. The only other thing I want to talk about is procrastination. And I think this impacts everybody. And everybody, you know, again, this goes back to the risk tolerance, et cetera, about, you know, not wanting to invest or being very careful because people don't want to make a mistake. That's the number one concern. And I said, well, doing nothing, it's a cost. You're not doing anything and you're not making anything. So what's the ramifications of that? So I did it for fun. I said, okay, you had a possibility of doing a GIC or you do a fund that's going to earn 7%. And we do this for 40 years. So at the end of the 40 years, the GIC, this is investing $5,000 per year for 10 years and you stop. GIC balance is $101,000. It's a nice number. The fund balance of 40 years is 562000 It's like five times the amount of money. Again, it's compound interest and it's amazing what happens. And that's how insurance companies are doing the policy. They're doing the same way. The money's into the policy. It grows each year and it goes up. And we tend to forget about it, which is exactly what we're hoping to do. And at the end of the day, you have this wonderful nest egg that you never thought possible. But we left it alone. And that's what you want to do. Put the money in. The younger you are, the better. But 101 to 562, can you imagine the difference in retirement you're going to have between those two numbers? That's what's happening to people who decide either I want to do a GIC or I don't want to invest. And I have met them. I can't convince them otherwise to go ahead and invest. And I feel sorry. But that's just a matter of understanding what's out there. And, you know, we have those conversations. 90% of the people are going to convert and say, yeah, I understand that, that this works well. Let's go ahead and do this. And they're quite happy. And, and it's really you know, getting access to that, the right information. In, yes, you know, it is. By sharing examples such as exactly what you've done here, it allows people to step back and observe to see and you know, once you understand and take that step forward, and it has, doesn't have to be all or nothing, right? We've right. Got, you know, if you have, we talked. You have about different access. options available to you. Absolutely. And, and even, when, even, even when they invest, you know, they can invest part of the money in, in one type of fund, part of the money in something else. And we do this constantly. They have $200,000. We probably have it in six different funds of varying degrees of risk. Nothing is high. I don't have anybody in a high risk portfolio. Some of them would like something a little riskier in some cases, and I just don't have it to offer. I don't work in that world. We're happy with 7 or 8%. We know what the numbers are going to look like. We ran the numbers and see what it will be at that time frame, and that's what they want. I think the biggest fear is I just don't want to lose money. I said, I don't think you're going to lose any money. 
But like I said, you don't have to have ever. Like I, I've got people's money in the high interest savings account. In some cases, we're waiting for a buying opportunity, and they might need cash in the next year. I don't want it in the market if they're going to need cash in six months. So we have to manage that, and that's what we do constantly. And we're talking to people every three or four months. Most of the time, it's minimum once a year, and in other cases, it's much more often. Just depends on you know what their anxiety level is, what they need to know, and questions that they come forward with, and. It's interesting what you learn. You know, you get a call from somebody you've known nine years or 10 years and they ask a question one day and you think, oh my God, I thought they knew that. I guess not. Maybe I haven't been very good at explaining myself. So we, we have a conversation around it and we bring it back to light and then they're okay. And they don't have to remember it six months down the road. They just have to be happy with it in that moment because then they're okay with it. And that's how they look at things. Absolutely. And, you know, the power of advice and having trustworthy individual knowing that you're looking after their best interest. The, right. the regular communication, I love that meeting once a year is okay, but to do it more regularly, especially, you know, market fluctuation, changes in business, changes to family situations. Often we kind of procrastinate, as you said, and put things off to the side. But if we really put this up front and deal with it, the sooner the better, then we're looking after our future. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Jerry, thank you for this great conversation. You just packed it full of information and we'll be able to share this out through many channels through our Vexit network. And if people want to find you, they'll know where to reach you and all the show notes from everything that you've said here will be made available as well. And we thank you for your time and thank you for taking such good care of your clients. Well, thank you, Polly, for giving me the opportunity. It's wonderful. You know what? We appreciate your time, your expertise. And if we can just help one person move their life forward, we've done our job. Exactly. That's how we look at it as well. That's great. Thank you so much, Jerry. Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.